electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of stocks and your money after this wild week and what lies ahead for it. We will discuss and debate with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Pete Najeri, and Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arias Asset Management. I'll take you first to the wall. Let's see where stocks are currently trading. Dow's down by about 400. S&P's off one and a quarter percent. NASDAQ down one. Russell 2000 flat. Worst week in about three months. I like to set the state of play. So we do have that. You got the month end for the markets. The S&P is flat. Wondering whether FANG did enough this week, at least the ones that have reported, along with Microsoft, to reignite that trade. You've got the J&J vaccine data we're all sort of pouring over and trying to figure out what happens next there. So, Pete, where does this leave us? Well, I think at at some point in time, we've been talking about this for a while now, Scott. When are we going to see this pullback that everybody seems to be talking about, including myself, uh, after we've had this run? It was just even just a couple days ago where we were still hitting all-time highs. So... We've had this incredible run to the upside. Everybody's looking for some sort of a pullback, and maybe that's part of the problem. But I do think that at some point in time, we will. As a matter of fact, I've tightened up a little bit of what I'm doing, but I probably need to uh, ease back on some of the equities that I still do own. I've cut back some, but I've started to get a little bit more aggressive with what I do in terms of the calls that I sell against my long stock positions. As far as the option positions themselves, I will continue to just trade like a madman because we are in a frenzy of a market right now in that world. We traded 60 million contracts two days ago, 50 million contracts yesterday. The the pace that we're on right now for January, which is just about over, is somewhere close to 45 million contracts a day. Just to put some perspective onto that, in previous years, we've averaged 20 million per day. Last year, we averaged 30 million per day. So we are really at extraordinary levels, and it's been a a great opportunity in the derivatives markets, but you better be educated and understand all of the risks, because this is not a joke. This is something that's very, very serious, and you have to understand the risks when you put on some of these option positions. Hey, Pete, give me an idea. When you you say, you know, maybe you need to be a little more aggressive in taking down some of your equity exposure, give me an idea of some of the moves that you've made, or at least give our viewers an idea and what sort of that represents of your point of view right now. Sure. Well, I've got quite a few different um, stocks that I am long, Scott, in my portfolio. And what I've decided to do to be a little bit more aggressive because I haven't figured out which ones specifically that I need to lighten up on. I still like these stocks. I'm just wondering which ones might have the most pullback potential because of maybe the markets uh, getting sold off like I would expect, which would be somewhere between a 5 and a 10% maybe pullback. So if we do see something like that, I want to be prepared for it. The only preparation that I've done is the aggressive nature of how I'm approaching selling calls on top of the option uh, of the stocks. Normally, if I own a stock, for instance, that's trading at $50, I would normally be trading and selling an option maybe a month out that's the 55 strike call and trying to get enough of that that I can. Now I'm going right on top of these stocks. I'm literally 
trading. If the stock's trading 50, I'm selling the 50s. If I'm looking, even in Apple's, great example, even with Apple, when it was trading about a buck 40, I was selling the 140 strike call. So I've been getting a little bit more aggressive. Normally, I'd be trading something further out of the money. So it's just a way to, to try to tighten things up, get a little bit more of uh, juice, so to speak, so I have a little bit more room to the downside when we, well, if we'd see a pullback. I see. I hear you. And we'll go through some of the names specifically as we go through the show today. I want to try and yeah. get through a lot of names today for our viewers. Carrie, so where, where does this leave us? Kramer, you know, calling in earlier said, don't read uh, too much into the rest of the market from GameStop. You know, the numbers have been very good. He's talking about earnings. Chris Ailman, the Calster CIO, mm -hmm. says it reminds him of 99 all over again. A wake-up call, a crowd is okay, a swarm is dangerous, referring to how some of GameStop has, has been traded. Where does all this leave us now with earnings really going to get hot and heavy next week? Yeah, well, it's interesting, Scott. We had seen a little shift back toward the growth stock. So if you looked a week ago, it seemed as if Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, those names, Netflix, they were really gaining some traction. They reported excellent earnings. You know, if you look at the numbers, Microsoft revenues up over 30%. Apple and Facebook in the 21-24% range beat on estimates of, of earnings and on revenues in all sectors, really. So then what happened? We had this enormous short squeeze. And the fangs, to some extent, are a source of funds. They become the virtual money market fund from which traders can get assets quickly. So I think they suffered this week, despite their good earnings, from liquidity pulls in order to cover the shorts. Oh, you think that? And, you know, we that's don't have enough evidence. But you think I that's do. why, you think that's why, yeah, you know, I, like, I, let's say an, an Apple absolutely knocks a cover off the ball with, with their, their earnings, right? The most profitable quarter ever. Facebook do, does the same yeah. for, for, for the most part. Um, and then those exactly. stocks have traded down right. on, on the week. Both are negative for the week. So you're suggesting there was a direct yeah. correlation to what we were witnessing with GameStop and how some of those other names have traded. I think it's possible. I mean, I don't, I don't know that. But if you're looking at, at stocks that a few months ago were 25 percent of the S&P, I mean, there's still an enormous weight. Apple is up, yeah, I mean, at seven plus percent of the S&P. So it makes sense to me that if you need something to cover, you just sell a few shares of, of Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. You know, there, there's the way you cover it. That's where you get the $2 billion fast. So I, I, I was very pleased with those earnings. We thought that they were excellent. And by and large, what we've seen so far, even, you know, name like Sherwin-Williams, great numbers. And we think that that should continue. It's not as if we have no risk in the market. We're up at 22 times earnings and we have to have good numbers. The market expects good numbers, but they've hit the numbers. They've raised estimates. And with the good vaccine news, I mean, that J&J number was good. We'll may, maybe talk about it later, but we're running toward the point where we can start to produce more vaccines for more Americans. And that's the only way that we get to the other side of the road. We so, can't, you know, I can't obviously reopen. So what, what's the deal now, Weiss? I mean, wh where does all this, this leave us? You know, we're, we're going to be questioning, did, did Fang, Big Tech, along with Microsoft, did it live up to the hype that it had to? Um, maybe Kerry's right. There was some source of funds coming from there to take care of some other issues. Does that trade get back going again? Um, Alphabet is coming up. Amazon's coming up. There's some other names that are coming up next week that are going to be closely watched. What are you watching for most of all? 
You know, I'm sticking to fundamentals. Uh, I haven't bought into GameStop being a revolution or anything like that. That's a bunch of crap. There, it's an isolated instance, and even the guy who started the so-called revolution was just looking for a cheap stock they zoned for a couple of years. So I'm focused on fundamentals, and guess what? The fundamentals have been good. So while you could say that the Apple price action and the Microsoft price action and the Netflix price action disappointed, that's not true. If you look at one day or two days after earnings, that may be true, but if you look at to the buildup in advance of earnings, they actually acquitted themselves quite well. Oh, yeah. Just most of the juice was taken out early. So, so I'm continuing to look at fundamentals. I like the under-the-radar names of my portfolios. Skyworks, up 80%, blew out numbers. I mean, blew them out, up more than 50% above consensus and doing quite well in revenues, too. Up by 50% versus what revenue projections were. So... That's 17 times earnings versus the market's 22. So you can still make a lot of money. What this is, it's a typical lull in an earnings reporting season where the market's trying to figure it out. There's some nervousness. As Pete mentioned, nobody would be surprised by a 5% pullback. I know I wouldn't, but I'm staying with growth, staying with the fundamentals. If you take a look at reporting up until today, you've got profit margins that we haven't seen on S&P companies since early in 2019 and late in 2018. So despite the pandemic, companies are doing well, and I think the market deserves to be where it is and go higher, okay. but you've got to pause. The pause refreshes at some point. But, okay, so you know, Pete sounds like he's looking to de-risk a little bit some of his, his equity positions and he's sort of rejiggering things through you know, the options market in which he has made his living his name uh, and certainly knows better than most people uh, on planet Earth at, at this point. Jim, are you looking for a correction still like you have been for, you know, I think fair to say the last many weeks? Yes, I am. And I think we're in it right now. You know, when Steve said down 5%, we're down 4% on the S&P 500 from the intraday high just a few a few days ago. And I think we'll get to a full correction, 10%. I don't think you'll go much more than that, um, simply because, you know, you've got the power of the Fed and zero interest rates. But um, look, I think this correction is happening right now. I've got about 16% cash. I sold a little more uh, uh, this week. Um, and I, I have to say, I look at margin lending, I look at the Reddit phenomenon, and it just seems these are all indications of a near-term top. So I think we're in it right now, Scott. But let me see that. I, I look at the moves that you've made, Jim, and, and look, you, you correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I, I try and remember as much as I possibly can the moves that you guys <laughs> made. If I do recall correctly, though, You've been a seller lately. You've been a cash yeah. raiser and a, yeah. and a waiter for, for a move you expect, whether it's today selling Viacom CBS. I think the last couple of times, two, three, four, five times you've been on, you've told me about stocks you've sold rather than things that you've bought. That's emblematic and representative of your point of view. That's exactly right, Scott. You remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So Viacom today, which is simply, it's up 33% in a week. It's up 500% from the March lows. Great company, but I think it just got caught up in this Reddit thing. So I decided uh, to take my money and, and sit on the sidelines for now. But I also sold Caterpillar. And they reported earnings today, really, really good earnings. And yet they're still below where I sold it, which is simply indicative that it was above fair value. It's, it's just a simple portfolio manager's decision to sell a security that is above fair value. Same thing with Winnebago. So I've just raised cash because prices got too high. 
The flip side of that is I haven't bought anything. And that is, I will admit, a market call because I don't like this market right here. I don't like what I'm seeing, all this volatility, all this, um, you know, this mania that is Reddit. And I'd rather just sit on the sidelines and let the dust settle. So, Carrie, you have bought recently, you bought more Facebook, which, you know, look, we're just talking about sort of what, where Fang emerges after this week, at least, let's say, half of it. And now we, we look ahead. You bought more Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we expected the quarter to be very strong and them to, for them to beat and to raise guidance. And if you look at the numbers, they were incredibly strong on the ad side, you know, 30% increase. And that just shows that these platforms and Facebook has, you know, billions of, you know, 2.7 billion average daily users that they have a way to reach for advertisers so many people. And it's become a much more attractive buy than most other forms of advertising. So we saw that, we expected that to be in the numbers and for this to continue to go forward. Also, in terms of the uh, the bickering that seems to be going on with Apple and Facebook, uh, we think that's news and that will uh, somehow resolve itself. It's in the interest of both companies, for both Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg to come to some resolution. We expect that to happen. And the regulatory uh, push right now is a little off of these companies. There are other issues to deal with, such as what to do with Robin Hood and this GameStop phenomenon and uh, the COVID vaccines. There are other things for the government to be concerned about than regulating Facebook right now. And so we like the numbers, what we thought was coming. And that's why we added to the position. Weiss, is it, are you at all, anybody you're talking to worried about spillover? in the broader market because of this, you know, as Jim says, the mania around GameStop. I ask you that because obviously Wall Street's talking about it. Barclays says, mm-hmm. you know, bubble trouble or a storm in a teacup. That's their question. Uh, quote, the ongoing short squeeze in a few stocks by retail investors has raised concerns of a broader contagion. The risk of a full-fledged contagion, though, remains low. There's another note from Wells Fargo today. We've heard various firsthand and secondhand views on hedge fund degrossing, de-risking. Some believe it's almost done. Our sense is that it's about 75 percent done. The implication, obviously, if you have to de-risk, you're selling right, into uh, a market that's a little volatile. How do you address that whole issue in and of itself? Well, looking at at some of the prime brokerage data from the big firms that handle most of the funds, you've seen de-risking. That means, as you said, taking down the gross, selling your longs, buying some shorts to the equivalent of what they did in March when COVID first started. So, so, yeah, so that's that's I think is just about all behind us at this point. So that creates an opportunity. I don't see this spreading to the overall market. If you were bearish coming in, it gives you another reason. If you were bullish coming in, it gives you an opportunity. As Jim points out, we've already corrected. I'm up to believe it or not, a similar cash level to Jim. But my plan is to add to things that had great quarters like a pterodyne or so, you know, that's not a max position for me. So, no, I don't see the spillover. I don't see any semblance of 99 when people at work for me were leaving to work at garage.com or toy.com. This is not it. This is a blip. This is like Occupy Wall Street. This is nothing that's going to impact the market. <laughs> it's not going to create socialism. 
It's not going to bring in, you know, massive legislation. I do think, and I have great ideas for how they can control the short story, but, uh, but that's different. So, look, to me, it's just a pause. You've got to come down at some point. I think we're going to do fine going forward. A little more downside, but I think you can buy here on research names. Don't play the speculative names. So, uh, well, let know, me ask you this, story. though. Let me, let, me, it, I let me just play off this yeah. sort of point you're, you're, you're making now, because I think it's an important mm -hmm. one to address. I mean, there has been a retail renaissance in, in, in this market. The, the pandemic may have, right. have pushed that, um, you know, from people who were looking to do something. I don't know. Uh, but there clearly has been more retail participation. The market has been more democratized through Robinhood, other venues. That's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There, there's no suggestion. I don't think you, you talk about things being a blip. Are, are you suggesting that that retail is here for a back is back for a stated period of time and then it's going to evaporate once market conditions change which may not be for quite some time and may largely be controlled by what the federal reserve has done and may do in the sometime in the future no that's not what i'm saying i think you have to go into different segments so i do think the retail renaissance continues which by the way has been going on with index funds they brought in a lot of retail money so a lot in the on the sidelines what's the blip is what we're seeing with Robinhood in terms of going after these stocks and running them up. It's going to end badly for them, very badly, which is why I own some GameStop puts. It's, it's more of a lark, small position. I own the March 12, 20s, 25s, and 10s. Um, I think I own the 25s as well, definitely the 20s and the 10s. Um, if it gets there, great. If it doesn't, they're already up. Why should a stock that's trading near 400 have puts at 10 bucks that are up? $20 <laughs> puts that are up. So it's all ridiculous. So that goes away. Retail stays here, particularly you can't make money anywhere else. Ten years still about 1%, right? you got to wait a whole year to get your 1%. So the market right. is, and I'm in favor of, democratizing investing. But you also have to be careful. Like, why Robinhood? Because it's got a catchy, you know, marketing theme. Go to a Schwab. Go to a Fidelity. Go to something that's got the capital that's not going to stop you trading. There are regulatory requirements for capital. There are requirements that DTC that clears all the trades, puts out, they can raise them, they can lower them. Robinhood was underfunded, pure and simple. And that's what did it. It wasn't the system. Well, it was if you want to trade for free and you trade free at the others, then you got to get what you pay for. There's another side. And that's where the investor needs education as much as in shorting stocks or going long the AMC. So let, let me ask you guys this. Um, Jim Labenthal, as we as we note also that the Dow right now is down about 500 points. Does retail's participation, this, as I say, renaissance that that we've we've all witnessed and, and you know, we think is a good thing. What does that mean for the trajectory, if anything, of the overall market that you have a just a new class of people interested in the stock market and willing to put money to work? I think it's very, very good. And I feel like most of 2020, we were lamenting that retail was on the sideline. And now here they are. It's, it's positive for the stock market because on net retail are buyers. That, that has been true through history. Now, Steve's pointing something out, and I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently. You can get a little too much of a good thing. And I certainly remember the late 90s. You know, go look at the E-Trade commercials from the late 90s. They lampoon how, mm -hmm. you know, retail can get carried away. 
Um, I don't think we're there yet. I think this GameStop stuff is, is pretty narrowly focused, and I really don't think it's going to be contagious to the rest of the market. But to answer your question again, I think it's unequivocally good to have more participants, and on net, they are buyers. Kerry? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. We've gone from 15% of the market was uh, retail uh, traders to, I would bet, close to 40% recently. Uh, I've written a couple of pieces for the CNBC website about this, and uh, I've suggested that the only things that might change the participation of the retail investor would be a very sharp increase in interest rates, in which case there would be another place you might put your money or some of the money, or if the market were, go, were to go down significantly, because since people have started to trade wholeheartedly, which is during COVID, so maybe they open their account in March during the first of the lockdowns, the market has gone up. I mean, it's gone up 70% since the end of March. And that's a huge incentive to want to participate and be part of that phenomenon. Uh, I would say that on the topic of democratizing the the market and this call that we've heard um you know by and large from people from elon musk to um Shamath to elizabeth warren it's got an amazing number of participants in in this dialogue that one of the ways i think needs to be addressed on democratizing is looking at the market makers at a place like robin hood so citadel trades the majority of the shares and while the investors or day traders think that they're doing this for free because there's no commission, so to speak, they are paying for every single share because the market makers and the platform take a cut of every share traded. And there may be incentives toward the selling side or the buying side. It's just unclear because the type of revenues and fees that are taken are opaque. And I would start with understanding and having everyone understand who's paying what, to whom, how much. Is it more for the short well, side or the long side? You know, we don't know that. And that, to me, is where we really need to begin if we want to elicit some understanding sure. and support to help democratize. The, the, the structure of, of the, the market and the intricate nature of it and relationships between parties, counterparties, and things like that have been an eye-opener for many this week um, based on some of the events that we've witnessed and some of the people who weren't able to trade the way they wanted to yesterday. Um, that's certainly an issue that needs to be uh, looked at as, as we look further into the future. I, I guess the, the next question is, we, we've all been transfixed, Pete, by, by this this week. Mm -hmm. Do we get back next week to focus on the things that matter most, which are earnings. I mentioned some of the companies that are uh, ahead of us, Alphabet and Amazon, but more broadly, our, our earnings are gonna matter again, right? They, we didn't, they didn't really matter th this week because we were all talking about something else. Do we get back to well, that story? My, my version of it's a little bit different. My version would be that um, the earnings uh, did not disappoint. They hit it pretty much the numbers people expected, right? I mean, when you just brought up Facebook and Apple and Microsoft and they absolutely crushed it, what did everybody think? 
that they were going to crush it. A week and a half ago, Apple was trading 127, jumped up to 144 into earnings, and they got those great numbers. But that was something that everybody kind of felt was a known. And so it makes some sense that maybe there's a little bit of pullback from there. You look at something like Microsoft, 212, gets up there towards 240. It pulls back a little bit as well. So I, I, I don't know that I would agree with you that the people aren't paying attention. I think that we're just seeing the kind of reactions because of what had happened in the previous weeks going into earnings for some of these names. And we haven't seen a whole lot of names that have extended past that after they've actually reported. But, you know, to Steve's point earlier, Scott, by the way, he was talking about GameStop. He said it doesn't make sense that his puts would go up in value with the stock going up. I would actually shake my head and say, actually, you're wrong. If the volatility, the implied volatility of those options goes from 300 to 800, which is what's going on right now, um, of course those are going to go higher. And it, it's going to happen as the stock goes higher as well because the implied volatilities in many of these names and, the, and going into next week, to, to answer your question now, going into the next week, Scott, I think when you're looking at um, all of these earnings, we, there's a long list, a lot of pharmaceutical names. It's going to be very interesting to see as we dissect through all of those. But the reality is we will still trade all of those names. Everybody still will be trading those names. It's not just a GameStop story. Of I course. think everybody's got this wrong if they think because it's the focus because it was such an unbelievable target. There's a lot more targets out there, Scott, especially when you know what the forensics really look like on where the targets are going. And, and, it, and it's very smart. It's, it's, it's really been a tactical, interesting thing to watch. And it's why I've participated because there are opportunities out there. And, it, and I've been... Uh, very conservative with how I've played it, but I'll tell you what, it is a, uh, a a crazy town when you look at what's going on there. And I talked about those volumes. Some of the volumes in some of these names in the stock, but also in the options, are, are 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 times normal. So um, this is not over just if GameStop was to start to pull back a little bit and everybody got relaxed. There are many other names out there that I think still exist. Well, yeah, speaking of um, can, a Boeing. Can, can I, for, Scott, can I just come? Go quickly, uh, I'm sorry, can I just come back on the options one second? I mean, I agree, Pete, with the implied vol moving up. But when you're talking about a stock mm -hmm. that's moving up nearly 50 or 100%, and it's 400 points away from the puts. They typically trade down, particularly when the delta is almost at zero. So I agree with you on the calls, mm -hmm. but on the puts, and then time value a week less expiration today, no, they shouldn't be up 25% as they are today. And that's what they're up, the $10 puts, in March 19. Mm -hmm. Pete, quickly. Yeah, I would disagree with you again, but I, I would disagree again, and I'd also <laughs> even point out, just go back to the financial crisis. When we had the financial crisis and we were looking at all those financials in banks, and we talked about names that no longer even exist, like Bear Stearns, obviously, that one always st sticks out for me most, because that was the first <laughs> in March, and then later, as we got later into the year, that's when the rest of this started to unfold, but they, they were buying things there, and that stock was going higher, and we were hearing from the CEO, and yet they're buying far out of the money puts and those those puts were going up in value why because the implied volatilities was spiking so much so that those actually started to gain with the stock as it was going through gains so implied volatility is a very very interesting thing to watch especially if there's a little bit of time value involved mm -hmm. you're talking about march it makes even more sense now to me okay let me let me do this i, I do want to there's get no vo there's no volatility there there's no <laughs> volatility here it's just people going in and buying it 
You would never see anybody buy a 10 put, buy a $10 put. Here you're seeing 5,000 contracts trade down there. That's why it's the it's supply-demand. Right. It's not the implied volatility. To, to, to be continued, I'm, I'm going to take a quick break. I do want to get, before we get out of here today, uh, Boeing we got to talk about, because uh, Jim owns that, along with General Motors got his price target bumped. We're going to kick around that, along with some other names, too. We're also going to speak to Skybridge founder Anthony Scaramucci. He'll join us to talk about all of this. We'll talk about Bitcoin, too. And we'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm thinking that this GameStop situation is the craziest I think I've ever seen. Uh, usually, you have a short squeeze and it goes up, but this one keeps going. So this really speaks to the changing demographics of investors in the market. I think there is something obviously wrong, and it's the gamification of Wall Street. I am not buying these stocks because that's where I think you can get burned. So people have to be at least educated enough to understand risk-reward. If interest rates go up, I think a lot of this game goes away. If you want to go and address the solution, fix how risk-taking happens at the institutional level, fix the precondition, fix the ability for these stocks to be so massively shorted in the first place. I think that when large, powerful Wall Street interests are put at risk, something usually happens that Change, changes the rules of the game to allow people to escape. I think I understand what's going on in the market. Uh, this is not going to end well when it ends. And the bigger question is, when does it end? I don't think it ends soon, but I think it will end, and it will end very badly for the public. Been a big week here on the half. Those are some of the names. Uh, our investment committee members, too, uh, this week weighing in on the Reddit-fueled short squeezes in the market. Let's bring in another voice into this conversation now. Anthony Scaramucci of Skybridge Capital joining us. Anthony, good to see you. Good to be here, Scott. An incredible week. Um, certainly, we've heard from a, a number of important voices on our program this week. I know that you've talked to a, a number in your own right. What's your big takeaway? Well, listen, I mean, it was bound to happen. You have a full-on decentralization and democratization of trading. Uh, that the, the trader now through the palm, you know, the smartphone is getting all the same information as, say, a Goldman Sachs prop trader in the mid to late 90s. And so this was bound to happen. Uh, these people are smarter than people think. I do believe that Leon Koopman is going to be right, though, that it ends in tears for many people. Uh, because ultimately, as you know, what's happening, and this is what got Robin Hood in trouble yesterday, is the pyramid scheme on the way up in terms of the leverage buying of those names that everyone on your show and most Wall Street professionals know that those names are likely fundamentally impaired. Uh, and so what I would say to people is we're in the age of decentralization. Uh, somebody like a, a Point 72, a Steve Cohen, let's say, I would never bet against him. He's adapting right now to this new reality. And so, as you know, Skybridge has a lot of money with 0.72. But on the same side, we've taken a barbell approach where we've got money in Bitcoin, which I think is the epicenter of this uh, democratization and this decentralization of finance. So well, I, uh, I would say we have a, a leg on, uh, on both sides, if you will. 
I, I know, I know, I know why you're talking Bitcoin. It's your new product. I know you want to you want to talk about that. We'll get to that in, in a second. Um, you, in in your own right, helped democratize a, a part of the market. That being the hedge fund business, right? I mean, that's essentially what the fund of funds industry did. It allowed uh, more. You know, average Joes, if you will, uh, who don't have quite the amount of capital to get into a hedge fund itself, per se, to at least have access to some of the better and most well-known managers uh, out there. So how do you think that industry changes, um, if at all, as a result of what we've witnessed this week? Well, I, I think it's definitely going to change. The, the, the best players in that space, whether it's the Steve Cohens or the Dan Loeb's or the Josh Friedman's of that space, they adapt and they pivot to the new reality of what they're dealing with. So will their short exposures change? Will they look at their risk management tools differently? Will they make assumptions differently about these sort of bee swarms that could potentially attack their positions? Sure, all of that stuff is going to happen. But you know, at the end of the day, the hedge fund industry is alive and well and thriving, $3.6 trillion and counting. Uh, when I came on the show last year and we were talking about the debacle during the pandemic, I predicted those adaptations and look how the hedge fund industry did at the back half of the year. And so for Skybridge Capital and the fund that you're referencing, Series G, uh, we have a $25,000 minimum to $50,000 minimum, depending on the platform. And that gives people an access point and then they can get exposure to some of these fantastic money managers. And so uh, th- that that industry is not going away, Scott. If anything, this type of activity uh, will make that industry more needed for people that are looking for a source of increasing returns and reducing long-term volatility. I'm trying to think of sort of what all of this is a, a product of. Some suggest that this is all a product of a frothy market that we're currently in, and you see things like this in those instances. You know, retail getting incredibly excited about the state of the market. You know, respectfully, launching a, a, bit, a Bitcoin fund at this particular time when Bitcoin, you know, has run up uh, a lot. Do you subscribe at all to that current state of the market? Well, listen, I would, I would bifurcate the two. I would say, yes, there's a lot of foam in the market. Uh, there's easy money in the market and the leverage is cheap right now. And that is driving a lot of this stuff. I think it's antithetical what the people are doing through the Reddit strategy, though. I get that they're trying to squeeze the shorts, and I understand that whole idea behind it, but I just think long-term, it's a very bad strategy, and you could get caught in the vortex of that. If those names drop 50 60%, which is not impossible given the run-up, and you're on the wrong side of it, and you've got that in your margin account, you could wipe out your account. So I would caution people that are doing that to just be super, super careful. But on the Bitcoin things, Scott, I think that's a different thing. That's an evolving monetary network. And I recognize the price movement. But what I would suggest, if you look at Amazon, which is a retail network, or even Facebook or Google, uh, these other things being social networks or a search network, in the case of Bitcoin, that is an emerging, growing, still in the early adoption phase, monetary network. And I just take you back to Amazon when it was 12 years old after its initial public offering. It looked like it was very expensive. But if you bought Amazon then, you've had a 64 to 1 move in Amazon over the ensuing 12 years. And so what we see in Bitcoin is something totally different. 
This is a monetary network that is institutionalizing before us. And again, to that democratization issue, uh, we, we at Skybridge tried to make the fund accessible, low fees at 75 basis points, 25 to $50,000 minimums again, just so people could get a toe in the water. Right. I'm certainly not recommending large allocations, however, because the stuff is volatile, but a 1% to 3% allocation could really help somebody's portfolio. S- sure. Um, you know, it does come with Bitcoin up, you know, at, at 36,000. I think that that's our only point. What we've tried to, you know, do this week, I think, too, um, even though it's been somewhat misconstrued and, and purposefully warped, um, is give people an understanding of the risk, the underlying risk that exists in, in the marketplace um, in, in a lot of this stuff. Carrie Firestone has a, a question for you, Anthony. Hi, Hi Anthony. Carrie. So so here's the question. For decades, the hedge fund industry has maintained that your risk is reduced because of the ability to short as well as go long. And this has been a marketing effort, to some extent extremely successful in selling across the platform to institutional investors, pension funds, state plans, teachers unions, etc. So now we've got a situation where perhaps there's a new risk that no one had foreseen. And I'm wondering how the industry is going to address it if, in fact, they have to adjust whatever they uh, suggest is their beta or correlation or market risk that the investor is taking. Well, listen, I think I think that's the best question out there. And I think they're already assessing that. You know, what you've got and not to get overly complicated is gamma riskier, an unforeseen event where there's effectively a bee swarm on your short position. And so now you have to sort of uh, you have to widen out the standard deviation of outcomes that you think are going to happen in those in those positions. So perhaps you'll have more shorts on uh, that will be less concentrated and then you'll have stop outs on your shorts. Uh, to prevent yourself from getting into the situation that happened with GameStop. But I think if you're, if you're making the point that uh, hedge funds have been successful at explaining their strategy where they have this ambidexterity in the markets, they can go long and short, they can do capital structure arbitrage, mezzanine arbitrage in the fixed income space, things like that, uh, that's what's made the industry successful. And the better managers actually have the track record to back it up net of their fees. And so this is the reason why I always tell people, be cautious, sure, have money in stocks, have it in bonds, but you should have some in the alternative asset space. And we now believe a very small amount, but certainly some in things like Bitcoin. But yes, they will make those changes, Kerry. That's happening right now as we speak, literally. And you're certainly not the only one uh, recommending a strategy like that as we're learning. Certainly some tried and true and extraordinarily successful people in the investment world are recommending the same. Enjoyed it. We'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Have a great week. All right, you as well. That's Anthony Scaramucci joining us there. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Big call on uh, Boeing, as I mentioned earlier. We'll talk about General Motors, too. We'll do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's what's happening at this hour. The World Health Organization saying it is working on quick emergency use approval for AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine. The group's top scientist says she expects a decision within two weeks. Back here at home in Texas, investigators are looking into why 11 soldiers fell ill during field training at Fort Bliss. Officials say it happened after they ingested an unknown substance. In Washington, a big fight over putting up permanent fencing around the Capitol. Capitol Hill police say it's needed to improve security. Some lawmakers and city officials disagree, saying the barriers would be a costly overreaction to the riot. Two people have spent some very big money on those. Those are the mittens made by the same school teacher who knitted the ones that Bernie Sanders wore to the inauguration. Blue striped ones were auctioned off for $3,800, and a rainbow pair went for $6,100. And someone's offered more than $7,600 for this pair, which basically less than five hours left to bid. And it goes to charity, just so you know. Halftime is back after a quick break. We're back. Worst week in about three months. Show you where the major averages are currently trading. Dow is down. Everything's down, except for the Russell is not down quite 2%. But you see the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ all down at least 2%. There's only one Dow component today in the green. That is McDonald's. You get your Big Mac, but everything else looks like the Big Mick, if you will. Uh, everything else is in the red. Uh, all right. We do want to hit a few of the calls today. Boeing. All right, Jim Labenthal. Boeing today got double upgraded to overweight at Morgan Stanley. Uh, you own it. What do you think about this call? Yeah. So double upgrade is a big move. He is more optimistic than I am on airplane deliveries and free cash flow. And yet his year end target is about 10 percent below mine. And what that tells me is what we know about this stock is there is so much that is unknown. We don't know how many planes they're going to deliver. We don't know what these planes are being sold for these days, particularly the Max. But that's what I like about this, Scott. And you and I spoke about this a few days ago. There are so many moving parts, so many unknown, and it's coming together in negative investor sentiment. I think the investor sentiment is way too negative. If this analyst is correct and he exceeds my estimations, this is going to be a great year for Boeing. Uh, jury's still out. It's down today with the markets. But I, I think this is Boeing's year. I really do. Okay. Uh, how about General Motors? That, that call today, price target yeah, goes up. Reiterate overweight Morgan Stanley. That's Adam Jonas, right? Well-known uh, analyst. Bumps the price target to 80 bucks from 57 And Ford At goes to underweight, by the way. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Adam Jonas is a terrific analyst, and he really believes in GM. So do I. You know, yesterday GM announced they're going to be all electric. All of their vehicles are going to be electric by 2035, and they're going to be carbon neutral in all of their operations by 2030. That's a really big deal. Okay, so I see why he's positive on it. So am I. The thing I question Adam about is Ford. I don't think this is a winner-take-all. I don't think Ford needs to go to underweight. I think Ford will do fine. I just think General Motors will do a heck of a lot better. Maybe he. He just had to put an underweight, you know, just to keep things uh, even out there. Barbelled. <laughs> the analyst barbell. You know, you got it. You got, you know, you got it. You got to have some underweights out there. It yeah. can't all be I love stocks. All right. Coming up, how futures traders are setting up for the big week ahead. We'll talk to them next. Back in two minutes. It's time now for the futures outlook. A look at the week ahead for that. Brian Stutland preparing for the convergence of Reddit, Bitcoin, inflation and silver. If that's not enough, explain. Yes, Scott, thanks. So when I'm looking at things right now in the futures market, silver caught my eye yesterday. A lot of Reddit chatter, upside call buying, huge in some of the silver ETFs out there. So to me, this is a case where silver has lagged a lot of the metals or cryptocurrency. And when I'm looking at an inflationary environment, I buy stocks and I buy volatility in my funds that I manage. But if those things are stagnant, what else, what other asset class appreciates? Right now, silver contract, that's the one I think takes off. It really has lagged since the election when you look at it in terms of that versus Bitcoin. And I think it has some catching up to do. And I'm looking to buy the silver futures contract, the March contract. Remember, folks, this is 5,000 troy ounces per contract. So that means if the futures contract goes from 2650 to 2750, let's say, in the March contract, that's 5,000 bucks. So I'm playing that to the upside. I have a tight stop, a couple bucks lower here. But I really think the upside's there. I think it's got catching up to do. We're not in a deflationary environment. I'm underweight bonds right now, overweight the metals, and silver's one way to play. Good stuff, Brian Stutland. Thank you. We'll see how that all plays out with a ton of economic data coming in next week as well. We'll step away again, come back. We'll do final trades and unusual. We'll get you caught on the market uh, before we do final trade. 6.30, that's the loss for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, below 30,000 right now. That's a loss of better than 2%. Same with the S&P 500, which is down nearly 82 points. NASDAQ also under some serious pressure today. So everything, at, this, at least at this moment, is down 2%. Pete, we got 45 seconds total uh, for everything here. Give me quick, unusual, which is your final? promise to be quick. I'm going to have both. So Walgreens, I already own the stock, Scott. They're buying the March 57 and a half calls pretty aggressively. About 10,000 of those were bought. I bought those as well. I own the stock and the calls at this time. Carrie, final. Blackstone, what's bad for hedge funds is good for private equity. Steve Weiss. Qualcomm report next week should be a blowout. You still in Jumia, Steve? I am. Love it. Stock's unbelievable. Twitter wanted, me to, tw tw Twitter wanted me to ask you. That's why I did. Farmer Jim. <laughs> Marathon Petroleum Earnings Tuesday. We'll talk about it then. All right. Good weekend, everybody. Take a deep breath. Enjoy the weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now... It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.